Well, good morning. Well, thank you for allowing this father to crash this mom's party. <laughs> it is uh, certainly, it's certainly uh, appreciated. And any time I get a chance to uh, talk to people about uh, some of the things that the Lord has, uh, has done, not only in my life, uh, but also uh, just to be able to share some things that he has put uh, on my heart, uh, always welcome that opportunity. So thanks again for, for having me. One of the questions I get asked um, relatively frequently, and sometimes it's by clients, sometimes it's by others, it's, they said, uh, Fred, what, uh, why did you choose to get into the counseling field? And the answer to that, I guess there's, it's a kind of a long answer, but uh, when I was in college, I essentially did not know what I wanted to do um, with, uh, with my life. And so I started to take a whole bunch of courses. And uh, a little bit in engineering, a little bit in business. And then I took this one course. It was called Family Studies. And we were talking about in, uh, uh, interpersonal relationships. And as I started to take this course, I just became completely mesmerized um, at some of the content that was being taught. I'm thinking this is fantastic stuff. And there was something that really hit my heart. One of the things that really hit my heart was this, is that, well, I might never use this for a career, but at the very least, the things that I'm going to learn here is going to help me become an excellent father and a great husband. Now, doesn't that sound awesome? Everyone say, aw. Aw, what a great guy Fred is, right? Wow, what a great guy. Well, I thought so too. And then the Lord convicted me not too much later. Um, that the reason that I wanted to be a good husband and a good father was simply because I wanted my kids to look up to me and say, Dad, you're the best dad ever. And I wanted my wife to be able to say, Fred, you are the most fantastic husband that has ever been born on this earth. And it was around that time that the Lord was convicting me, Fred, you are a people pleaser. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Any uh, self-proclaimed people pleasers here? All right, a few. For those who didn't raise your hand, just wait. <laughs> I might get you later. <laughs> well, if we were to think about, um, or if we were to, uh, to, to look at the uh, elections, like main elections, I'm not going to talk about politics too much, um, or really at all. But during election times, they have these people um, out there connect, um, collecting polls, right? And these People are called pollsters, right? And so they, they're trying to get the, um, uh, figure out the pulse of the United States. Like, who are you going to vote for? What is the most important thing to you? Um, and as these pollsters go out, then they tell the presidential candidate either how they're doing or they're saying you need to focus on these things because that's what pe what's important to other people. That is what they want to know. And so they, co con um, they collect all of these polls, and these polls, they tell their candidate. The candidate says, okay, this is what's going on, so therefore I'm going to change what I say. I'm going to change what I do so that I can reach everybody that I can reach, so I can win an election. I'm going to do what I can to make them happy so that they will vote for me. Now, as people pleasers, we do often the same thing. We might collect these polls and to figure out what is it that other people want. What, do, what are other people looking for? So if we can know what other people want, what we know what other people are looking for, we oftentimes change what we do. We might change what we say so that we will be approved, so that we will be liked um, by other people. And if we can make them happy, then we will be happy. Have we ever said that? Anyone ever hear that said by anyone else? Maybe the person next to you? All right. If you're happy, then I'm happy. But of course, that also means... What's that? Husbands say that. Husbands say that. Yes, yes, those selfish guys. It's so good that you're meeting without those, those, those people. <laughs> um, or we also know that if they're not happy, we're not happy. There's another one for that, isn't there? Uh -huh. If mom ain't happy, no one's happy, right? <clears throat> so we all have our issues. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and 
we know that it's, it's, difficult, to, it's difficult to change. Um, and, but we also know this, is that this is not just simply a counseling issue. This is an everyday issue. This is an everyday issue that I know that I have faced. It's one that many of you have faced. Um, but it's also one that's been there from the beginning of time. And sometimes I wonder, now the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but sometimes I wonder, um, was Adam a people pleaser? And I'm trying to think, why did he go ahead and, and eat of the fruit when he knew specifically that God said, don't? And I can't help but wonder, was he just kind of going along with things, going along with, with, um, with Eve and, and, and the serpent as well? Was, and why was he doing that? Was it outright defiance? Or was he just saying, you know what, if she's doing it, I'll go ahead and do it? Almost not necessarily a peer pressure, but maybe an inside pressure to do something that someone else was doing. But this is also mentioned in Scripture many other times as well. Jesus even talked about people-pleasing. He didn't talk about it in terms of, this is what people-pleasing is. Don't do it. But he talked about it in the Sermon of the Mount. And so I'm going to read some of the Sermon of the Mount uh, to you and, and see what, what makes sense with that. But before I do, um, let's open up in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time today. Uh, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, and we thank you for um, just who you are. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts um, today. Uh, help us to, to, um, uh, to know what you want us to know so that we might grow in faith and in love. Uh, for you and for your glory. And we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I didn't know if this would be helpful or not. Um, I did print out some copies if you wanted to take notes. If you don't want to take notes, that's okay. If you're not able to take notes because you have a baby in your lap, that's also okay. Uh, Thank you so much, Lord. (coughs) But this will also be recorded, so you can also get the recording, and that's okay too. So let me read from uh, Matthew 6 and the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then skipping over to verse 16, says this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We see in each of these situations, Jesus is, is talking to people about um, doing things secretively. He's talking to people about <clears throat> when you give, for example, don't announce it with trumpets. Don't tell the world. Because we know that there's something going on inside the hearts. Right? And what's going on inside the heart is, say, if we were to give and we were to go ahead and announce it to the world and say, hey, I gave um, Tabernacle Bible Church, I just gave them $1,000 because I think that they deserve it, and John Banks deserves a raise. Now, you can all say amen to that because he is a great guy. <laughs> but then once the announcement is there, the question is, is, well, why did you announce it? Well, I announced it so that people can look to me and say, wow, what a great person they are. They're so generous. That is so awesome, isn't it? And so, therefore, you've got that people-pleasing aspect where it's like, I want to show people how awesome I am. So, therefore, they will praise me. They will honor me. So, he says, when you give, don't tell everybody. Don't announce it. When you fast, he says, don't tell other people that you're fasting. 
That's between you and God. And so don't go into church or don't go just looking at like all ragged things like, oh, I haven't washed in days. I'm so hungry. Um, oh, I really want, oh, well, I'm doing that because I'm fasting and I'm, and I'm fasting for, 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 for these several days. And then, like, wow, you are so spiritual. That is so awesome. Now, someone might ask you a question. You might answer them. Don't lie to them. Right, and uh, um, but um, they just saying, just don't announce it. Don't show that you're suffering and all this for the glory of God. Um, don't uh, when you pray again. Don't announce it to everybody and say. But it's just, again, it's just saying, wait, these are decisions to make between us and God. And so, what Jesus is essentially saying all of these things is that when we if we need praise, if we need honor, if we need love, if we need all of these things from other people, then he's saying, you're getting your reward here if they give it to you. But our reward, on the other hand, is really in heaven. It's really between us and God and not with other people. See, when we are people pleasers, as people pleasers, our currency is not money. Our currency is praise and adoration and acceptance. Bless you. So the question I have for you is this. Are you a people pleaser? And so I've got ten things. If, if I'm talking or I'm talking too fast and you end up with 15 things, just leave. You know, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's okay, all right? It's because one thing kind of runs into another. It's okay. Write down 15 things. It's all good. So the first thing that we want to do, because when we look at Scripture, we says out of the heart we produce fruit, right? And so this is the fruit. These are the fruit to know whether or not you are people pleaser or not. The first one is this. Is it hard to say no? Is it hard to say no? Look at your calendars. Are you saying yes to everybody? Are your calendars busy? Are you overcommitted? This is all part of that. Is it hard to say no? Um, is it hard to say no in terms of like that when someone asks you to do something that you say yes automatically, you kind of give in to peer pressure? And it's not really the pressure from other people. It's really more of an internal pressure to be liked. Um, Pontius Pilate kind of gave in to peer pressure, didn't he, when Jesus was, was before him? He, he said, well, look at all these crowds. It was during uh, the, a time of year that he, just, he needed to please everybody around him. So he's like, fine, go ahead, Jews. Go ahead and crucify him. And even though he knew that it wasn't right, even though he knew it was wrong, but he went ahead and did that. Is it hard to say no to others? The second is this. Are you second-guessing your decisions? Is it hard to make a decision? Do you take a long time making a decision? Because you want to make sure it's the right decision. Especially those decisions when you know it's a no-win situation, that somebody is not going to be happy. Three is this. Are you easily embarrassed? Are you easily embarrassed? Fourth is this, do you need love or acceptance from others? Do you need love or acceptance for others? Not just desire it. All of us desire it. But if you want it so badly that you're willing to compromise maybe your beliefs or, or do actions in order to get it that you might not be comfortable doing, do you need it? Five, do you take criticism personally or get offended easily. There's a book called The Bait of Satan. I don't know if you've read that or not. It's a great book. Um, and it's talk about how to not be offended, essentially. Um, <clears throat> do you then interpret people's comments as criticisms? Do you hear someone's criticism and take it to heart, and does it destroy the rest of your day or an hour or two? Do you all of a sudden then get really angry or upset at them because of the things that they have said? Six, are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid of rejection? Do you avoid it? Um, do you avoid conflict? 
Because people pleasers tend to avoid conflict. Because if you are in a conflict with someone, chances are they will not be happy with you. Therefore, avoid it. <laughs> are you trying to make your spouse or your children happy with you? In other words, do you do what they want to make them happy? Often not speaking up for your own desires or your own wants or preferences. I can say that in the counseling office, as I've counseled couples uh, throughout these years, that um, on more than several occasions, uh, someone would come to me and saying that they're done in their marriage. And the reason that they're done in their marriage is because they found the other person to be controlling. They, 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 they give in all the time to what the other person wants, and they've lost themselves. They've lost their identity. They've lost who they are. And they said, and I can't find myself in this relationship. And after learning some more and after discussing some more things that are going on inside the heart, oftentimes we find out that, yes, the other person tends to be more dominant and more um, saying that this is what I want to do, and yet the other person typically gives in to the other person, has always given in to the other person, and they've lost themselves in terms of I no longer know what I want anymore. I don't know what I want to do, or, this, or my spouse doesn't, um, doesn't um, pay attention to the things that I want. And then learning that the, other, that the person who had these complaints tends to be a people pleaser, someone who always gave their preferences away and gave in to the other person so that the other person can be happy, but so that they can be happy because I'm happy when you're happy even if it means I'm really not happy. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, also, are you like a chameleon? Do you act a certain way with one group and then a different way with another group? Do you conform your speech, attitudes, and actions to other people's expectations? So with work people, you're at work. With home people, you're at home. With church people, you're talking churchy like Christianese. Oh, y'all, such a blessing. Y'all, such a blessing. Thank you so much. Then they are home. How could you do something like that? Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's pretty similar. It's okay. It's okay. We're all on the same page with that. Fathers and mothers alike. Do you avoid people? Number seven. Do you avoid people? Now, avoiding people. No, that was still part of six. See, that's okay. That's okay. We, we are here by grace, all right? So there's no laws or anything that there's only ten. You, there's no test. It's okay. Do you avoid people? And that's why I announced that earlier, so it's okay. Do you avoid people? And avoid people, it seems like that doesn't seem like a people-pleasing kind of thing. But people-pleasing, if we were to look at it, is the greater umbrellas of that. We call that, in Scripture, we call that the fear of man. Just the fear of other people. And that's what people-pleasing is. It's the fear of other people. We'll get into that in a moment. But do you avoid people? Do you feel like, the next one, do you feel like that you might be an imposter or that you might be exposed? In other words, you're presenting something on the surface to people, but inside there's other things going on that you're not presenting. And the reason that you're not talking about this with someone else is because you're afraid of rejection or afraid of what someone else might say or think about you. Next one, number 8, 9, 10, 11, whatever. <laughs> Do you find yourself telling little white lies or cover-ups because if you didn't, you know the other person would not be pleased with you? Little white lies. Next one. Do you compare yourselves to others? Do you practice a one-upmanship, or do you toot your own horn? That's the professional word, phrase, toot your own horn. <laughs> do you brag? Do you give yourself some pats on the back? And then let other people know. All right, how are we doing with this list? That was it. 
the, the 10, the 12 commandments of people-pleasing, right? The fruit of people-pleasing. So I could do a poll of how many of you are guilty of how many of these and who has the highest number. I don't want to embarrass you in case you are a people-pleaser and you're not ready to, to, to come out of that closet yet, okay? Um, but honestly, I think if we were to look at all of these, most of us would be able to say we have at least one and probably several of us have about three or four. And probably if you are and you know and you could admit that you are a people pleaser, probably closer to eight or nine of these. Or 12. <laughs> people pleasers, and I am one of them. We are deeply affected by the comments and the criticisms of others, whether we know them or not. And honestly, it could either make our days or it could put us into a slight depression. We essentially are dependent on the opinions of other people, which some people and psychologists would call it this, codependency. Right? We're dependent upon what other people say. And I think during this day and age that we're living in, this is probably the most difficult time because we have the internet. And you might or might not know this, but people like to share their opinions, <laughs> even if they're not asked for. And they might like to make their opinions on your Facebook feed, and they like to make their opinions on stories that they read, and they are happy to do it. And because there's a distance, that they are going to be either brutally honest, extremely rude, or both. And so, I don't know about you, but I hardly ever make comments on anything on the internet, because I know that someone is going to respond, and it's going to irritate me. And so, therefore, I don't make any, get that for you, I don't make any comments on things just simply for that reasons, um, for that reason alone. And it's so interesting that someone in the town of Honesdale can make a comment about a story somewhere about in Yugoslavia, and then someone from Australia can put in their two cents about it. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy the times that we're living in. In the March uh, 14th Daily Bread devotional, um, described a TV program where adults posed as high school students and learned that many teenagers looked to social media for their worth. It was dependent, of course, on how many likes they received from their photos. Isn't that interesting? Now, if we could be honest with ourselves, if we were to post something on Facebook or Instagram or whatever that you're on, don't you kind of go back and say, hey, I wonder who liked my photo? Of course. We want to know who's paying attention. <clears throat> Why? Because there's something inside of us that desires to know that people care, they're interested, they think, oh, what great pictures, what a beautiful family, whatever that might be. And we tend to do that. So this is some of the fruit of people-pleasing. If we think about our parenting, I thought being a mom's group, I think you could probably relate to this, right? Is that as a parent, we really don't like to disappoint our children much, do we? There are times where we may be very firm with them, but maybe there are some times that we choose not to be firm, that we might like to be the good parent and allow the spouse to be the bad parent. Or maybe the spouse is already the bad parent, per se, the firm one. That's not being bad parent necessarily, but they're the firm one, the strict one. And so if there's a firm one and strict one, and you think that they're too firm and too strict, strict chances are you're going to go to the other end of the spectrum and be too lenient. And, of course, they're going to complain about you being too lenient. You're going to be complaining about them being too strict. And there you have a nice, wonderful conflict, which we want to avoid because we're people pleasers. <laughs> now, as a parent, I found myself this way with, 
With elementary age children, I found myself being the strict one. But as we grew into the teen years, and my, my kids are in college now, as we grew into that time, I actually ended up being the more conflict avoider, being the one that was more fearful of what they think, because as they become teens, and they therefore have toods, and I didn't want to lose them, because I wanted to be a good dad. And so in that time period is that I became from strict to a little bit more towards the lenient, and I would let things go, and I wouldn't challenge them nearly enough as if I were to go back now as I ought to have. And why is that? It's because there's that aspect inside of me of being that people pleaser. And because it was there in, it's there in my life, and it's there through my parenting, I missed a lot of opportunities ones that I could have shown love to them, but instead I was fearful of what they might think. So this is a big issue in our lives that we need to look at and be able to look at and address. And we can't just simply stop the fruit. All of those things, those 10, those 12, those 14 things, we can't simply just stop them because the only way that we can change is if we change our hearts. And the only way in changing our hearts is to be able to go before the Lord and say, okay, God, what is in my heart and what needs to be addressed in my heart? And now I'm looking to you, Lord, to help change my heart. So what is at the heart of people-pleasing? The heart of people-pleasing is this, is I'm afraid of people. I am afraid of people or the fear of man. And I'm afraid of them for, for three reasons. The first is this. People can reject, ridicule, or despise us. They might not like us. They might call us names. They might not like what we do. They might not agree with us. They might not like what we believe. They give their negative opinions about us about how we look, what we think is right or what we think is wrong. And they might say things that might hurt us, that might harm us. See, some people, this is not true of all people pleasers, um, but some who may have grown up in difficult households, or let's just say maybe that there's a parent who tends to be more critical, who tends to be what I would call a, I call them moral operators, Moral operators are those who tend to be a little bit more Old Testament focused. In other words, their focus is on what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. They look at the standard, whatever the standard is, and they'll make comments to people based on that standard. Whether or not they meet the standard or don't meet the standard, um, whatever that standard is in their mind. And if you have grown up in that type of home, where someone is tends to be more of that moral operator and makes comments and such, and then you feel like that you've never been able to measure up, then if chances are, if you feel that you haven't been able to measure up, it could be because of that, of the upbringing, or it could be because there's a people-pleasing aspect inside of you. But chances are, if that's the case, if you have a parent that it's impossible to please, or you feel like they're impossible to please, chances are you can also be a people pleaser. Because you're trying to please and trying to please and having a hard time doing that. In our faith, sometimes that we live as though we might, we do everything that we can for God. Because we're afraid that he might reject us. Sometimes it's actually difficult, or a lot of times it's actually difficult to follow the Lord because we know, and especially in the, the further we get along here in the United States, that we're more likely to be rejected because of our faith. Certainly in other countries, it's far worse than here. But we see it slowly progressing here. And we see it in the court of what? Opinion. We see it in the court of opinion. But sometimes in our minds, at the very least, it's easier to say that we would die for Jesus. But Lord, just don't keep me from being liked. 
We don't want that. And it sounds ridiculous. But sometimes we fear, we're afraid to evangelize. We're afraid to invite people to church. We're afraid of speaking out. We're afraid of saying something online. We're afraid of these things. Why? Because we just don't want to be rejected or ridiculed. Because that rejection and ridicule really affects us. Let me give you a, a, a fable. There's a, uh, there's a fable about an old man, his young grandson, and a donkey. They were entering a city, and the boy was riding the donkey as the old man walked alongside. Well, they passed a group of people who remarked that it was terrible for the boy to ride while the old man had to walk. So they listened to the critics and changed places. They went a little farther, and another group said, what a shame to make a little boy like that walk. So they listened to their critics, and the old man and boy walked beside the donkey. Another group down the road complained that they were foolish to walk when they had a perfectly good donkey. So they listened to their critics, and both rode. The next group commented on how cruel they were to put such a burden on the poor donkey. The old man and the boy decided they were right, so they decided to carry the donkey. <laughs> That's a crazy story, isn't it? <laughs> People's opinions and responding to critics, and if we change everything that we do based on what the critics say, you know, we will never keep everyone happy, will we? It just won't happen. King Saul was commanded by God to wipe out the Amalekites, including the livestock. Yet he refused to kill the king and the best cattle out of fear because of what other people might say. He was afraid that the others within the kingdom would say, how could you kill the king when you could have him there as a trophy? You can parade him around the streets and everybody would be singing praises to your name. How can you kill all of this awesome cattle? They could feed so many people. How could you do something like that? So he was afraid of what these people were going to say. So then he disobeyed God and he said, you know, I'm going to keep the king alive and keep the cattle alive because of it. And do you know what happened after that? As a result of that, he lost the kingdom. That was the beginning of the end for King Saul because he chose to fear other people, to fear the rejection, the criticism of other people instead of following what God said. So we're afraid of people because they can reject or ridicule or despise us. We're afraid of people because they can expose or humiliate us. They can expose or humiliate us. Um, Adam and Eve felt shame when they sinned against God. They felt exposed when they had sinned and needed a covering, so they felt naked and shame. And what did they do is they hid. Why? Because they were afraid. See, fear leads us to not only people pleasing, but people avoiding. That people will see me for who I really am. They'll know who I am, and they'll just completely reject me. That's why we hate to be vulnerable in front of other people, especially guys, but a lot of ladies as well. Instead of being exposed, many build walls or distance themselves from other people. They make sure they don't get too close to others. And as a matter of fact, many people, because they're afraid of vulnerability, they're afraid of getting too close to people, they create fantasy worlds. These fantasy worlds of what a perfect marriage would look like. The fantasy worlds through pornography. Fantasy worlds through, uh, through romance novels. See, all these fantasy worlds, why? It's because the real thing might be too difficult and too painful because of that fear of being exposed, humiliated, or rejected. Afraid of people because they can attack, threaten, or oppress us. Afraid of people because they can attack, threaten, or oppress us. Now Abraham, out of fear for what the Egyptians might do, told, told them that his wife was his sister, which was a half-truth, like a half-sister. But he was afraid of what might happen. Now, people-pleasing, again, the larger umbrella is the fear of man the fear of others. Sometimes it's about rejection and emotional things, but sometimes that fear of other people, it's actually a physical thing too. 
And this was what was going on inside of him as well. People who experience emotional, sexual, physical abuse often live in fear, at least for a time, because of the abuse, and which is understandable, which is appropriate. Right? But it's important also not to be controlled by this fear of others, right? but be grounded in the Lord. Uh, perfect love casts out fear. Fear is not something that God wants us to live in because we know that if, if we've ever experienced uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, or know any p- people that have, this is an oppression. Because to live in fear all the time is to live in an oppression. You know, you're feeling oppressed because of the fear. Living in fear is, is, is just simply not good. And God, I believe, has a heart for those who are oppressed. And he wants to deliver those who are oppressed. And, and that is so, so important. So these are the three fears. What's going on inside the heart at this is this, is that I'm afraid of people. Maybe it's a legitimate physical fear, but oftentimes it's a fear of rejection or humiliation, something that tends to be more of the uh, emotional, more inside uh, process. How are we doing so far? We're doing all right? Okay. Um, second is this. It's not just I'm afraid of people, but I need people. I need people. Now, I always forget the name of that movie. Those the romantic line that was in that movie. Um, Tom Cruise was in it. Some lady was in it. That's, that's, that could be any movie, I know. And she says, or no, he says to her, one of them says it, you complete me. You hear that line a lot? Isn't that such a romantic line? Yeah, I, personally, I can't stand it. But Jerry McGuire. Jerry McGuire, show me the money. That's because you're a good Christian. <laughs> who, who sees all that secular movie stuff, you know? Yeah, I heard of that movie. Yeah, that's why I did, you know. <laughs> why is it why is it that we need people? Why is it that we need people? Think about this for a moment. Why why do we why do we need them? Are we dependent on them? Well, certainly your children need you. They are 100% dependent on you. Do you need your spouse? Do you need your children? Do you need food and clothing and shelter? Water? See, some of these are an absolute yes. We certainly need these. Some of these are saying, well, we don't necessarily need them, but I feel like I kind of need them. But I'd be able to live if I didn't have them. I know I love my wife immensely. If she were to pass, and I hope she does not, I hope I'm the first to go because I'm selfish that way, (laughs) Um, I would be extremely sad, extremely. Do I need her in order to live on my life? It would feel that way sometimes, but the truth is I would not. But I love her immensely. Oftentimes with people-pleasing, the need becomes so intense is that I need the other person. I need their love. I need their acceptance in order to be okay, in order to live, in order to survive, in order to be happy, in order to be fulfilled. I need what the other person offers me. And so at the heart level, in people-pleasing, there is a need for other people. Now, this need can be an unhealthy need. Now, is it good to desire? Absolutely. It is absolutely appropriate. It is absolutely right to desire the affection, the approval, the love, the acceptance from another person. It's absolutely okay to desire that. The problem comes is that when that desire turns into a demand or a need, then it becomes what the scriptures call an idol in our hearts, in our lives. It becomes so important to us that oftentimes we would rather have that or that is more important to us than what God offers to us. 
which is why so many people have decided to, and Christians alike, have decided to either leave the faith or compromise any belief that's mentioned in Scripture simply because the world is going one way, and if you don't go the way that the world goes, then you are a hater, you are phobic, you will be rejected, you are a terrible person, you are judgmental, you are... And many people of the faith don't want to experience that rejection from the world. And so therefore... I need their approval more than I need God's, right? When people's opinions of us, their comments, criticisms, and such, when that becomes greater than God's opinions or God's comments, then we are lifting up people and their opinions over God's. And that is idolatry. And why is it? It's because we often do this because there's a sense of insecurity inside of us. Right? There's a sense of insecurity inside of us. Now, when we, when we are born and we begin to grow, we first look for our identity, our sense of identity and self-worth. We look to our parents first. Are we loved? Are we taken care of? Do they love us? Then we start looking to peers. Do they like us? Do they accept us? And then we also look to performance. You know, if I can do something well, if I can be successful, if I can be a great student, if I can do great in these sports, if I can do whatever, we look from parents to peers to performance in order to be under, understand that we have a sense of self-worth, that we know that we're important, that we know that we are valuable. And this is what every single one of us does. And that's not wrong to do that. <clears throat> but when we start looking to, for self-worth, if we start looking to other people's opinions or to performance, and we measure our self-worth or our value based on these things, then we're putting ourselves on, we'll call it shifting sand. It's like the, the wise and foolish builders. And every opinion is like a grain of sand. Which, of course, that opinion might change the next minute, which might change the next minute, which might change the next minute, which might depend on something else that goes on. And all of these opinions are there. And it might be like form like a, like a sugar cube kind of thing. You know how the sugar cube is just, it's a cube, right? It's a cube of sugar. But once, you know, water hits it, it starts to dissolve. So it looks pretty firm. Hey, we made it pretty firm because other people do like us, and we are very likable, and they approve of us. And then all of a sudden, when the storms hit... Are, it begins to dissolve, and then all of a sudden we're feeling terrible, we're feeling depressed, we're feeling anxious because we don't have other people's opinion. We're feeling whatever that might be. Why? Because we are putting our whole sense of worth on the opinions of other people. Or maybe we're finding it in performance. We're trying so hard to, to have the perfect meal or the perfect gathering um, of people. It's the holidays, right? So we gotta, we got to make sure the house is spotless, it's clean. we got to make sure the food is perfect. We, get, we bring all this ang anxiousness into making this a perfect event. Probably making everybody around us miserable. Why? Possibly because... There's a people-pleasing aspect, and I need to make it perfect, and then I need to, to do this so that everybody might think that I really did good, and I'm a great person, and I'm an organizer, and I'm a whatever, fill this in. And I've spoken to some of your husbands, and this is what they told me to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if our self-worth, I really didn't, and I only know your husband, so and I didn't talk to him about this, all right? I just say it. <laughs> No, no, I actually did not talk to him about anything like this nature. So this is just coming from me, just, you know. Um, but when we put our self-worth in performance or other people's opinions, we're on shifting sand, and it's going to crash. But when we know that our self-worth, our value is found in God above, and we, here's the thing, we believe it. People say, I know it here, I don't have it here. The only reason for that is this, believing it. I believe that this is true. I believe this is more important. Ed Welch, in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, this is the whole premise of the book. If you've read the book, 
You know what I'm saying. <laughs> if you haven't read it and anything I'm saying is sounding true to you, pick up the book. I don't know if you have a library in the church at all, but it'll be a great book for the library here. Our self-worth is not found in our performance, whether good or bad. It's found in Christ's performance for us on the cross. It's not found in our opinion of ourselves. It's not found in other people's opinions of ourselves. Right? It's found in God's opinion of us. That's all in John 3.16, for God so loved you. Right? The world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> Ed Welch continues to say this. He says, whatever you come to need, you will eventually fear. If you need love, you will be controlled by the person who dispenses it. Think about that for a moment. Whatever you come to need, you will eventually fear. If you need love, you will be controlled by the person who dispenses it. There are... And, and I don't know if this is true of anybody here, but chances are you'll probably know someone <clears throat> who might be in an abusive relationship, uh, emotionally abusive relationship. And what I've seen in there is that the abuser tends to be kind of one of those moral operators again, but with pride and arrogance and, um, you know, built in, um, tends to be more narcissistic. But the person who's married to such a person there's a people-pleasing aspect that can be there, that I need this person's approval. I'm trying to win this person's approval, and I'm not getting it. The abuser might be able to give it sporadically, but it's earned, right? You earn their approval by doing everything right, by doing everything good, whatever's in their mind, which is very controlling, on, on the other person's end. <clears throat> but in, in, in the people-pleasing end, it, again, it's just I'm just trying to give you so that I can have this approval. But we know this, that in the gospel, through the gospel, is that our approval, our worth, is found in God. It's not found in another person. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul says this in Galatians 1.10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying, still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So our process in growing is from being people pleasers to being God pleasers. How do we do this? Well, first things first. The process of God-pleasing is this. We cannot please God without faith in God. <clears throat> we can't please God without faith in God. Hebrews 11.6 says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's a pretty simple statement, then, right? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, we don't have to please God by being great Christians. We don't have to please God by doing all the right things, by speaking Christianese, by, by, by doing this, 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 all for the kingdom. We don't have to please God. We don't have to earn God's pleasure. Having faith in Jesus Christ pleases God. We don't have to earn it. We have it through faith. And in this passage here, it says that anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He doesn't say he rewards those who honestly do everything that he wants, that God wants. He says that honestly those who seek him. In other words, this is all about relationship with God and our relationship through Jesus Christ. We are highly, highly, highly favored by God. And it's not because of anything that you've done or that you haven't done. It's simply because God is God, that God is love. We never have to earn it. Now, once we have his love, his love spurs us to love others. His, his love spurs us to serve. His love spurs us to, to be obedient and such. But we will never have to earn it. 
And so we are God-pleasers simply by this, by faith in Jesus Christ. And by accepting that grace, accepting that favor that he has for us. And so we do this. We grow. um, We become God-pleasers by growing in the fear of the Lord. We grow in the fear of the Lord. The person who fears the Lord will fear nothing else. Matthew 10, 28 says this, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who destroys both body and soul in hell. The fear of the Lord, while it does involve a terror fear, it does involve that, because he is in control of the soul, right? So there, there is that. But yet for those who place their faith in him, it involves a greater amount uh, of what, what's called a worship fear. In other words, it's a reverent awe and submission to him motivated out of, out of our love and honor. Because I love him, I want to honor him. I want to revere him in my life. I believe, and here's the thing, I believe that his words and actions over anything else. So the fear of the Lord, what that looks like when it comes to people pleasing is this, is that because I revere God above other people and I revere God's opinion of me, above other people's opinions of me, and what he has done for me on the cross over what I have done or what other people do for me, I revere that more than anything else. And I am going to pay closer to attention. So when I feel rejected, when, when, when I feel uh, dishonored by other people, when I fear, fear, uh, feel criticized by other people, I am going to go back there. I am not going to dwell on the aspect of rejection or I'm not going to dwell on on not being approved of. I am going to go back to who I am in Christ and that is going to matter more to me than what other people do or say. And it's that daily process and growing in the fear of the Lord is just revering that and again, make it bigger. Make his words bigger in our hearts and minds. And part of that process is this, is accepting it and believing it. Because we do have a hard time accepting it, don't we? It's one of the reasons that we say, I know God forgives, but we have to forgive ourselves. Which is totally not in Scripture at all. And we say that because, well, I know God forgives me. But but that's not enough. You know, I have to do something in addition to God's forgiveness. I have to forgive myself. God's forgiveness, is which is basically saying this, is that, that I have not fully accepted the fact that I am forgiven by God. Yeah? And, but God's forgiveness is enough. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was enough. It was absolutely enough to be set free. But we don't believe it. We say, well, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was, was not enough for me. I actually have to forgive myself. No, you don't. You have to accept that forgiveness. That's, a, well, that's what it is. That's the difference. The world says forgive yourself. As believers, we say accept what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. That is sufficient. That is enough. You are forgiven. You are set free. You are no longer bound by sin. Right? So make... In our hearts, in our minds, make that bigger. Make this truth bigger. Paul says this, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So here's what he's saying there. He's like, I don't care about the court of human opinions. I don't care even about the human court as much. I, what I care about most about is what God says. And that's what matters most to me. Even if the court of common opinion says something differently. Matthew 5.11 says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because of great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The last is this, is that... We need to need people less and love people more. Need people less and love people more. <clears throat> the interesting thing about love, or about um, um, about this topic, is this: is that as a people pleaser, we we've convinced ourselves and other people <clears throat> that we 
it's even in the name people pleaser that we are we are pleasing them for them but in reality what's really going on is this is we are pleasing other people so that we can get praise admiration appreciation whatever that might be in other words people pleasing is a really more about self pleasing it's giving something that they want in order to get approval praise or whatever that might be that's crazy isn't it <laughs> throughout scripture we see a common theme one of those common themes is this is that <clears throat> love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind strength and love your neighbor as yourself <clears throat> Genuine love is about what is good for another person without getting anything in return. So here's the thing. If people pleasing, and if we please people just for their sake, but we're trying to get something back in return, that's not genuine love. But oftentimes we've convinced ourselves that we are loving them by giving them what they want. But oftentimes we're trying to get something back, the praise and admiration. Genuine love is for their sake, not looking to get back anything in return. Bless you. Desiring it, I think, is okay. I think Jesus gave us his life in death. You know, he doesn't need anything back from us, but he desires our love. That's okay. But we need to not need their love, appreciation, affection. We ought to love for the sake of loving because God has loved us. See, needing people less and loving people more. And one of the ways that we can figure this and know this is this, is that if we do things for other people and we're not getting anything back and we're getting angry, upset, we have to gauge our hearts and ask ourselves this question like, did I do this? For their sake, did I do this for my sake? You know, what's going on inside my heart? Is it because I need them in order to feel loved, appreciated, whatnot, or <clears throat> self-worth? Um, or was my heart in actually a good place, and I'm just a little disappointed because there wasn't appreciation? That's understandable, right? And, and we go through this in marriage, and we go through this in relationships a lot. We do, and we do, and we do, and this is the thanks I get. Ever say that? <laughs> I know I have, right? Look at all I've done for you, and this is it. <clears throat> and as a parent, yeah, as a parent, we get hardly anything back, you know, especially not in a measurable response rate. And as they become teens, if you get something back that's very similar to what you give, that's fantastic. I am jealous. <clears throat> but it's the way it is. And as parents, we know this. We can't get our sense of self-worth and identity through our children or our role as parents. Our self-worth comes from him. And any time that things get out of whack, whether identity or self-worth is through a spouse or a role as spouse or a role as parent, then it's out of whack and something's going to get mixed up somewhere in the, those relationships. And so we want to put First things first. <clears throat> there is only one opinion that matters the most. And so if this is an area that you may know that you've struggled with, um, I want to suggest that, that book, that resource for you when people are big and God is small. If you've struggled with self-worth and identity and, 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 and such, there's another book called uh, Search for Significance. Uh, which would be great. One of the exercises that I've done once, and I wish I, I don't know what happened to the notebook. I'm really disappointed about it, but I went through the Gospels just looking at that theme, the fear of man. And I was amazed at how many times I saw the fear of man mentioned in Scripture, just the Gospels alone. It was such an awesome exercise. Again, I wish I did that because I know that could have been a devotional, so I'm going to have to go back and redo it at some point. Um, but it, it's a great exercise to grow in. Now, when I first recognized that I was a people pleaser, I was probably about 22. Um, I am now 23. <laughs> um, 
I'm now 45, and it's not dead yet. Just when I think I've, uh, it's, it's, it's done, it's gone, something happens and it rears its head. So this is a process. But it's a process not to get down on yourself or beat yourself over the head if it's still there 20 years from now. It's a process. But recognizing it and growing in grace and growing in, in understanding um, and growing and acknowledging, again, Jesus Christ and his grace and his love and, and finding our worth through him, the more we do it, the, the, the better it is and the better the struggle goes. Um, and so I want to encourage you and encourage you in the Lord for that struggle. Um, I know I've been talking a lot. What kinds of questions do we have? <clears throat> Are there any questions? Sometimes it goes with, when we think about worth, um, there's a difference between the ideal me and the real me. I don't measure up to my ideal me. Not even close. Um, But we can absolutely compare ourselves to, from the real to the ideal. The ideal is ideal, but it's not real. (laughs) That sounds pretty easy. But yet, at the same time, the more we get upset about, uh, about of ourselves, and we're like, I can't believe I did that. Ever say that? I can't believe I did that. Well, why not? You're a sinner. That means you're going to fail on a regular basis. Rejoice in that. Honestly, that's, it sounds really weird. To rejoice in the fact that you're, you're never going to be perfect, that you're going to fail on a regular basis. I actually find that very <clears throat> relieving. I, not that I think it's great that I fail, <clears throat> But that understanding is this, is that there's room for God's grace with that. Is that, you know what, I'm a failure, I'm a sinner. If I think that I could reach that place, then that's pride and arrogance inside of me. (laughs) But we are not going to be the ideal uh, us. And so when we think about our worth and our identity, um, oftentimes that can be a performance like if, if I'm if I find myself worth in performance, like I can meet that level, and then I start feeling bad about myself, then where does that take us? And so when God's opinion is is greater than other people's opinions of us, God's opinion of us is actually greater than our own opinions of ourselves. And so when we look at that one verse where Paul says, "I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't look at myself judged by other human courts. I don't even judge myself." This is kind of what he's talking about. It's not even what I think about myself. It's about what God thinks of me. And so, and I know I'm dating myself with this. A long time ago on Saturday Night Live, you know, before I was a Christian, um, they, and watched, you know, that other movie. <laughs> you know, there's this guy named Stuart Smalley. He gets into a mirror, and he's like, gives positive affirmations. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Kind of thing. And so he, that's what he kept telling himself. And it's just like, those are self-affirmations, but that's, that's, you know, you're trying to tell yourself one thing, but your opinion is still just your opinion. You're a sinful human being. So your opinion of yourself is also flawed. Whose opinion of you is true and right and always will be true? Whose opinion of you matters the most when you're before the throne of God? It's the opinion of God. And his opinion is built on grace, on favor. You are highly favored, even though we mess up all the time. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? I'm not sure if that answered your question, but I think, yeah. Heart motive is always important. So if you're doing it for yourself, like I need this, I need their opinions of me in order to feel good about myself, then I'd say that's kind of more of the going towards the people-pleasing aspect. If it's in the fact of customer service, I'm doing this because my job is to make you happy, well, that's part of the job. You know, that's, that's sales. That's, you know, good business of doing that. So it's really more about what do you get out of it inside because a lot of people are really good at it. You might be really good at it. Yeah. 
yeah. But just know that that's not your identity. Just know that that's not your identity. Your worth is not found in whether you do a great job at it or a terrible job at it. But use those skills that God's given you. Yeah, good question. Other questions? Yeah, I'll be around a little bit. Um, going out to lunch with Pastor and Jeremy, probably about 20 minutes or so. But yeah. It's 40. No, but <coughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Law do we undo everything you just said? Everything. <laughs>